0: when I was younger, I was perhaps seven or eight, and um, when Christmas would come around, I remember very clearly that my dad would take me and my siblings to go get my mom a wonderful gift for Christmas. Now, one of the traditions that my dad had was, hey, we would get together, we would go out, we'd pick the gift, we, you know, he would purchase the gift, he'd wrap the gift, but it would be a present from me, okay? The, the kids would get mom the gift, even though the reality was that dad would pick out the gift. Dad would purchase the gift. Dad would wrap the gift. Here was the hilarious thing. As the kids, we did nothing. We didn't really care what what we were going to get mom. We just cared about what we were getting for Christmas. Yet when Christmas morning would arrive, there would be this beautiful present under the tree. And it would say, to mom, from dad and the kids. Okay, now I was six, seven, eight years old, and Mom would receive this beautiful piece of jewelry. she, She would receive this beautiful gift. But the truth was, we had done nothing to help with the gift. There were even years where Dad would do all the work. And yet on Christmas morning, it wouldn't say, to Mom from Dad and the kids. It would say, to Mom from the kids. Kind of funny when you think about it. Uh, we didn't have really anything to do with the gift. Yes, we, we went physically to the store with my dad. Yes, we probably grumbled and complained on the way there. Yes, we really just cared about what we were going to get for Christmas. But, but perhaps you can relate to that, to that humorous story. You know, I reflect fondly upon those times. Uh, this morning, would you turn with me to Romans chapter 1? Romans chapter 1. Uh, the story that I just told you, it will make sense in just a moment. They w- there was a purpose in sharing that story with you. Romans chapter 1, we'll read the passage in just a few moments. But when we come to the book of Romans, perhaps you have certain presuppositions about this book, this certain epistle. Uh, many are mostly familiar with the book of Romans. Uh, when you think of the book of Romans... You think of perhaps the Roman's road, okay? Uh, Growing up, that was probably some of the first verses that you memorized, Um, the Roman's road. But perhaps you have certain presuppositions about the book of Romans. But I want to share with you this morning that there is so much more to this wonderful letter that is written by the Apostle Paul. In fact, you cannot simply read this book and immediately glean all the wonderful truth that is found within This morning, as we gather together, I want us to reflect on this one reality. We'll read the passage in just a moment, but here's here's the reality I want us to focus on. The power of the gospel comes from God alone. The power of the gospel comes from God alone, meaning that we have no input to the power of the gospel. You and I have not earned our salvation. We've not done anything that, that really deserves for us to receive credit. I think sometimes when it comes to Christianity, um, we like to focus on Christ's death on the cross, and God, yes, the power of the gospel comes from God, but also my good works, but also what I have done, but also what I have tried to do in the past few years in my Christian walk. But I want us to think about this. The power of the gospel comes from God alone. Before we, we begin to deeply examine these verses found in chapter 1 of Romans. Let's consider first uh, first of all the, the background of Romans. Uh, it was an epistle that was written from the city of Corinth by the Apostle Paul during a time in which he was unable to visit the city of Rome and to meet Christians in Rome face to face. Now that should kind of amaze us. Uh, perhaps you've read throughout Scripture and you've seen certain epistles and certain letters written by Paul And it's been noted before, he writes with great emotion. He writes with great care. He writes with great affection. And you see that here in Romans. But the amazing part about that is he had not ever met these people face to face. Yet, he showed great care to them. He showed great affection to them. Despite not having met them yet, Paul had every intention to travel to the city of Rome and to encourage all who would listen to his message that he had, his message of the gospel. Now, this church that he was writing to, this church in Rome, it was a unique church. It was composed of both Jews and Gentiles in this church. I mean, there was a unique mix of Jews and Gentiles. And this unique mix was nothing short of amazing. amazing When one considers how the gospel of Jesus Christ united these two people, these two people groups. We need to understand something. As Paul is writing here, he had a burning desire to soon visit Rome and to announce his before his coming to Rome the distinctive truths which God had revealed to him and which God would make known to the Romans through Paul. You see, Paul did not just want to go to Rome just to see Rome. Paul did not just want to go to Rome just so he could have more people like him. He had a certain purpose. He wanted to share with them great doctrinal truths. He wanted to help them in their personal walk With God. Paul desired that these believers in Rome understand and grasp onto the truths of the doctrine of God's grace. Paul desired that these Christians in Rome understand that the power of the gospel came from God alone, not from man. He hoped for for this since, unfortunately, many had misrepresented this truth. They, they had made it seem like, yes, the gospel, it's, it, it, it combines works. It combines faith and works. But no, he wanted to make it crystal clear that it came from God alone. The apostle here, he's writing to fellow Christians who needed guidance in regards to the doctrine of God's grace. And more specifically, justification by grace through faith. As Paul would discuss the gospel with these fellow believers he would reveal that the gospel as the power of God unto salvation. It's meaningless, apart from sin, condemnation, misery, and death. Therefore, Paul writes to these people to try and clear up any misunderstandings. As we look at this passage in detail this morning, let us keep in mind that our main focus is to recognize that the power of the gospel comes from God alone. Uh, You're there in Romans 1. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship, for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, again, we're focusing on the truth that the power of the gospel comes from God alone. And the first truth that we must recognize in order to know that the power of the gospel comes from God alone is that you must have a proper perspective of yourself. Look back at verse 1. Paul is servant of Jesus Christ. Paul, called to be an apostle. As Paul begins his letter to these Christians in Rome, he strives to make his message to them from the very beginning. How many of you have ever received a, a letter, a handwritten note from somebody, or even a text or an email? And perhaps when you looked at it... Um, you kind of were a little overwhelmed at first. Has someone ever written you this huge note or this huge text, and all of a sudden you're just like, okay, what, what's the point of this? What's the point of it? You're kind of flipping through it. Can you imagine, though, if just them making their point very clear from the beginning? Hey, Ryan, I'm writing you for this purpose. And then they give explanation to it. That's kind of what Paul does here. He makes his intention very clear from the, begin, from the beginning. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul identifies here that mankind, man, is simply the messenger that God uses to help deliver the good news that he has for all of mankind. With this in mind, attention must be drawn to the manner in which Paul begins his letter. Uh, One author states this, that it was customary first century correspondence to commence with the name of the writer, You know, they would begin their name. They would give kind of their credentials. So so Paul, a servant of God, or Paul, called to be an apostle of God. Uh, But but taking it further, though, we need to notice that Paul goes beyond what was customary in his salutation. He doesn't say Paul, this great apostle, Paul, this well-known Christian, Paul, this one who started all these churches, Paul, this great person who has converted many to Christ. He begins, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Understand something, since Paul was well known, he could have simply begun the letter with a quick statement of his name. I mean, they had heard of Paul. They, they perhaps had not met Paul. They had not seen Paul face to face, but they had heard of Paul. They had heard of some of the great things that he had been teaching of. They had heard of some of the great places that he had been to, the influence that he had had. They had heard of Paul. But instead, Paul just says, Paul A servant of God. The term that Paul uses in this letter to the Christians of Rome, it's the Greek word doulos, which was translated as simply servant. Uh, It carries with it the idea of servant. Paul saw himself as one obliged to serve Jesus Christ. See, he's carrying a positive influence here. As he's saying a servant of God, that was not a negative thing, that was a positive thing. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. One who had exclusive rights to his own life, but as one who had been bought with a price. Paul had not viewed himself in this fashion. and One must consider that if Paul had not viewed himself in this fashion, then perhaps the work, work of the gospel might have been hindered. He begins very simply, Paul servant of God. He begins with great humility, Paul servant of God. Now that is important to, to notice. A servant of God. I mean, he was well-known. He could have started it out anyway. I think we are all familiar with with preachers and evangelists of the past uh, who perhaps have become so well-known that they could become filled with pride. Now, I'm not going to mention any names. I don't know of any names specifically that come to mind, but there are some names that have become so famous they carry great weight with it. When you think of the name Billy Graham, when you think of Certain preachers, even today, John MacArthur, you, certain thoughts come into your mind. Paul's name was well known, yet he began, "Paul, a servant of God." Christian, we must consider that when we are striving to share the gospel, we are simply messengers and proclaimers of God's message. Uh, it's been said before, you know, that one one individual was trying to offer encouragement with witnessing to to one another, with sharing the gospel with other people. And oftentimes that can be a scary situation, can it not? You don't know how someone's going to respond. You don't know if you're going to say things just right. Uh, But they said it this way, you know, hey, if someone rejects what you have for them, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting the message. And they're trying to comfort that individual, trying to give them encouragement, but that is true. We are simply messengers, I'll just be honest with you, there's nothing of great importance that I, that I have to say that's going to be made up of my own mind. But if I can declare what God has for us, if we can look at what God has for us and glean from that and learn from that and try to live by that, that's what matters. So Paul, uh, Paul, he's referring to himself as a servant of Christ. Uh, if, you care, if you study this passage out carefully, you see that it carries the idea of Advantage. Servant, how could that carry the idea of advantage, of something good? In order to see this advantage, one must consider what one one author said when he declares that the cords that bound Paul to his old master, Satan, were rent asunder in his new identification with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Because here's the truth today. If you're not a servant of God, you are a servant to something. If you're not a servant to God, you are a servant to someone or to something. See, Paul had once been a servant to Satan. Paul had once been a tool used by Satan. Paul had once persecuted Christians. Paul had once tried to blot out the name of Christ. He had tried to hinder the work of Christ, yet now he was a servant of Christ. The the advantage that Paul gained was through Christ's substitutionary death on the cross. Paul no longer had to serve sin. He can now serve Christ. Fellow believer, this morning as I look around, we have that same advantage as well. As a Christian, we have the privilege and the honor and the advantage of serving God. But do we appreciate it? Scripture refers to us as vessels. Are we vessels that are willing to be used by God for whatever he may have for us? Are we, are we vessels that are, that are willing to, to be molded into what God would have us to be? Are we vessels that are willing to, to go and to do what God would have us to do? Do we allow God to use us and to mold us into a workman that needs not to be ashamed The purpose of Paul calling himself a servant of Christ was to avow at the outset the completeness of his commission and his commitment to Christ Jesus as Lord. See, there were certain individuals who, yes, they were Christians, or yes, they they worshipped a certain God, and when they would go to places, it was important for people to also believe and to worship that other God, but if they got a gathering as well, if they had some fame come come out of it as well, that was great, but Paul did not want that. He was not concerned with the idea of gathering a following after him. Instead, Paul was concerned with carrying the truth of the gospel to all who would hear it and to all who would respond to it. If many had to view him as a servant of Christ, then so be it. Ultimately, Paul wanted these Christians in Rome to see that the power of the gospel came from God alone and not from man. The source of the gospel was none other than God. Therefore, he called himself a servant of Christ. Do we have that same attitude when it comes to the to the idea of us being servants of God? That is a high honor. And we must be proud of the freedom which you and I have to serve our great God. We are all servants. Now, sometimes we think, oh, well, this person is in this area of life. They serve in ministry or this person works in this field. Uh, of business, so they have a greater opportunity. We, we we try to limit ourselves, but we are all servants. We are all able to serve God no matter where we are. It has often been said by, by, by individuals, you know, they've spoken and said, hey, when your life ends, whenever that may be, and they put the, the tombstone at the gravesite, what do you want to be said on it? And they said, oh, you know, loved his wife, or gave money to the poor, or served in this many ways. But how many of us would want to simply be known as a servant of God? Maybe not someone who had accomplished a lot from from mankind's eyes, but how many of us would would be proud and would be okay with Ryan, a servant of God? Insert your name, a servant of God. And that's all that was put there. Not the accomplishments that we, that we accomplished. Not the people that we reached. Not the money that we gave. Not the, the amount of jobs that we held. Not, the, amount, not the, the size houses that we lived in. Not how many kids we had, but a servant of God. Continually, continuing to carefully study verse 1 of this passage, we must also focus on the phrase that Paul uses when he wrote called to be an apostle. See, Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, an apostle of God. Paul was not only a servant of Christ, but by divine appointment, an apostle. Paul was one that was chosen, one that was appointed. And this calling here that Paul is referring to is not a calling that was issued by a mere man. It's not that Paul became a believer in, in someone who was also a Christian, said, hey, you are now an apostle. Hey, you are now an evangelist. Hey, I am giving you this divine appointment. No, it could only come from God. He had a a divine appointment. He was not self-appointed nor chosen by any man to the sacred office of proclaiming the good news of Christ Jesus. I mean, just think about this. Aren't you glad that Not just any random schmo can walk in here and say, I am your pastor, I am your leader, now pay me and do whatever I tell you to do. Aren't you thankful that you can choose and that God appoints certain individuals to serve? Aren't you thankful this morning that even though he's not here, that God has led Pastor Sam to lead our church? And we have voted on it and we've prayed on it, we've prayed about it, but it is a divine appointment the calling here that Paul's referring to is not a calling that was issued by any man. It's essential that we understand this if we are to see the, the main thrust of this short passage, which is to show that the power of the gospel is found in God alone. Since this is true, God would, would have to be the one to issue that divine calling upon the man, Paul. It was not a mistake, but it was purposeful. And that word called here means not merely to be invited, but has a sense of appointment. The calling that is being referred to by Paul is, is a calling that was divine in nature from, no, from none other than God, than God. Christian, your calling from God is a divine calling. And because it is a divine calling, God has, a, has appointed you to serve him, and to serve him well. Now, where that may be, I'm not sure. But I think oftentimes we, we try and look for excuses as to not serve God well. Well, I'm in this field, and I'm limited in what I can do, but God has called us to serve him well. Whether we eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God, whatever that may be. Continuing on in the verse, he says, separated unto the gospel of God. This term means to mark off by boundaries, to limit. See, the past act of God now allowed Paul to be separated to the gospel of God. The gospel that pro- Paul proclaimed truly was good news. But here in this passage, separation is viewed positively. When we think of separation, it's not normally a positive thing that we think about. Even if we have to separate from a certain friend group or separate from someone else, it's kind of a negative thought. It's viewed positively here though. It's not like a couple who endures a separation due to struggle or hardship within their marriage. In that circumstance, separation is is heartbreaking. When you hear a loved one or you or you hear of a friend who's going through a separation, that's heartbreaking. But here it's viewed positively. Now, now, again, think back to this. Think back to Paul as a Pharisee. Uh, the Pharisees prided themselves on being different and distinct from others. Considering Paul's Pharisaic background is important because the Pharisees explained, they were popularly, popularly explained as ones who were separated from the world, separated off from the world. They kind of view themselves as better. We're separate. We're not like you guys. We have these, these boundaries, these limitations, these laws. We're separate. We're not like you guys. But Paul no longer was separated from the rest of the world in a prideful sense. Instead, he was separated to the unique privilege of sharing the great truths of the gospel of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Thinking about the background of Paul, he was once separated from others in a prideful sense, but now he's separated from that prideful sense, to the work of God. The fact that Paul was separated for the gospel of God points to the sovereignty of God. Since our God is supremely sovereign, it makes sense that one noticed the high calling that Paul was called to by God. To know that the power of God comes from the, the power of the gospel comes from God alone. You must have a proper perspective of yourself. Paul boldly proclaimed to his audience that he was a servant of God. He was separated to the work of God, to the gospel of God. Separated to be used greatly by God. But secondly this morning, the second truth that you must recognize in order to, to realize that the power of the gospel comes from God alone, very simply, is that Jesus Christ is equal to with God. Look with me, if you will, in verse two, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. As Paul continues to reveal that the power of the gospel comes from God alone and not from man, he continues on in verse two by explaining to these fellow Christians in Rome exactly what this gospel is. The term he uses at at the beginning of verse 2 is a term that many have translated to be, he promised beforehand. It says it's translated which he had promised before, but it means he promised beforehand. Paul here is referring to the fact that the gospel had been prophesied of by many Old Testament prophets. God had spoken in times past through men, who could only imagine what this promise by God would be. Have you ever pictured this when you're reading through your your Old Testament, whether it's for, for devotions or just reading through Scripture, have you ever wondered what it must have been like for those individuals in the Bible who God made promises to? Like when God promised a Savior, when God promised to send a Redeemer, what was that like for those people who heard it for the first time in the Old Testament? Like, they were probably filled with great joy, great anticipation, but they wouldn't see that come to fruition. I mean, that promise was made all the way back in Genesis, yet it wasn't fulfilled until the New Testament. He had prophesied before by the prophets, and one day it would be made manifest to mankind Paul here had an undying confidence in the validity and relevance of the message that he had endeavored to communicate. It had been promised. It had been promised. He had heard of Christ coming, Christ who is equal with God, co equal, co eternal with God. Because others had prophesied of the gospel in years past, it made sense that Paul would have a firm belief in the gospel that he was preaching. People were looking forward to it, but but Paul knew that Christ had come. Christ was God. Christ had died in the place for mankind. The gospel of God has come to mankind by means of the prophets and by means of the holy scriptures. What a great privilege we have to have God's holy scriptures. To have a a, a divine spoken word from God. To be able to, to, to look into God's word and to see God, communicate to us. God's power is, is put on display when one ponders the method in which God allowed the wonderful truth of the gospel to be delivered to all of mankind. I mean, it's amazing when you think about it. The times that, that individuals face captivity, that the children of face captivity, God sends someone to encourage them with the truth. God sent someone to say, hey, get right with me. The the times where, where people felt desperate, God said, I'm sending a Redeemer. Humanity was able to hear of the gospel through the mouths of their fellow men and through the inspired writings of Scripture. What a great blessing. That truly is a great blessing for us because we can find great comfort in that. We may not understand everything that is in Scripture but to know that God is coming, we don't, we, we don't know when, but the fact that he is coming, what a great blessing. One, one can also recognize that like God used Old, Pre, Old Testament prophets to proclaim his message of, of deliverance, God was now using Paul to proclaim the wonderful truth of the gospel of God. Despite the fact that Paul had once opposed Christianity harshly, it's amazing when one considers the fact of how God would use Paul as an agent of the gospel of God. But God did not only use the prophets to declare his gospel. Again, thinking about the priceless value of the, of the scriptures. Such value can be placed on the scriptures since they are, the, in fact, the very words of God. They contain the very words of Almighty God. And only the words of God can offer mankind salvation. Paul's main thrust to the Christians in Rome in this short passage is that the power of the gospel comes from God alone. It's not of man. One author put it this way. The person, Jesus Christ, is the center, the heart, and the very substance of the gospel of God. Christian, do you believe that to be true? Is Christ the center, the heart, and the very substance of the gospel? Often I'm afraid we would like to find comfort and joy by trying to squeeze in good works, by trying to look to our own righteousness, and by trying to tie those as an important aspect of the gospel. Paul had not yet met these these Christians, but he was adamant about sharing with them the truth—the fact that Christ was one hundred percent man, one hundred percent God; that Christ was the agent that brought the amazing news of the gospel to a lost and dying world. His death on the cross provided life. It's amazing that as Paul is writing; he he points to the unity that they have in the gospel. Are you thankful for the unity that, God, that the gospel provides us with? I mean, look around you this morning. It's nothing short of amazing when you consider that we are all gathered here today. Yet we all have different tastes. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different stories. Yet as a believer, we can call ourselves brothers and sisters in Christ because we have received unity in the gospel. This is a beautiful thing. Mankind's condition of sin was bleak. Seemed to offer no hope. Mankind's condition was bleak. Seemed to offer no hope. Do you realize that your condition was bleak? The Bible tells us that we were born into this world sinners. We were born into this world at enmity with God. Born the enemies of God. But by sending Christ... By Christ dying in her place, it would usher in the opportunity for a sacrifice without blemish to be offered for all the world. Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Christ is equal with God. Made of the seed of David according to the flesh, it's a reference here to the incarnation of the Son of God. And therefore, to that, which he, to that which he became in respect of his human nature. This short phrase here in verse 3, made of the seed of David, is simply stating what had already been predicted in the Old Testament and affirmed in the New Testament was that the Messiah would come from the family of David. The event of Christ being born into the earth was a special moment. It was not a mistake, it was not random, it was a special moment that had never happened before, it would never happen again. This descendant of David would be the means by which that divine salvation would be offered. He also says, declared to be the Son of God with power. Having been declared requires special attention to and a careful inspection must take place to fully appreciate what is being said here. What's being said here by Paul as he's communicating to these Christians? Another way in which this term can, can, can be taken is to translate it with the idea of designation. When one views it here as designation, we're able to better appreciate it if we view it that way. Declared to be the Son of God. Designated to be the Son of God. He was the chosen one sent for us. What a beautiful blessing that is. That Christ, who is God, co-equal, co-eternal, would be sent to live a perfect, sinless life and to die in our place. Christ, God's son, came for one specific reason. For man to propose that the gospel is man-made, that we can add anything to it is blasphemous and, and really it's just preposterous. We cannot save ourselves. That truly comes from God. Jesus Christ is equal with God. So by recognizing that the power of the gospel comes from God alone, we we receive a proper perspective of ourselves. Like Paul, we are a servant, but that's not a negative thing. We can view that positively. We've been chosen to be messengers. We have been chosen to share the great news of Christ to those around us. No matter our background, no matter what we've done in the past, no matter what our skill set may be, no matter where we we are at, we have been chosen to share the good news of Christ. And that is a privilege. Secondly, by recognizing that the power of the gospel comes from God alone, we also recognize that Jesus Christ is God. He's co-equal, co-eternal with God. He was not created. He is God. But finally this morning, the final truth that you and I must acknowledge in order to realize that the power of the gospel comes from God alone is that you must recognize your calling. Recognize your calling. Verse 6, among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. As we come to the end of this passage, Paul here now meditates on Christ. His meditation on Christ would reveal some beautiful truth about the Son of God, among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ. It's an offering directly from Christ. As a saved individual, Paul was commissioned directly by God to become an apostle, an ambassador for the sake of the gospel. This high calling was special, and it was offered from a divine source, which here we see is identified as God himself. It's a divine calling, among whom are ye also the call of Jesus Christ. It is through this meditation that the Christians in Rome were now able to begin to understand Paul's great love for the Savior that he proclaimed. He gave them this great commission. He tried to get them to meditate upon it. He tried to let them see hey, you have been given a calling. Recognize your calling. The grace and apostleship that are mentioned were not provided or given by any man. No, the gifts of grace and apostleship to Paul were given by God Himself. He was saying, hey, I'm not self appointed. I was appointed by God. It's a divine calling. Recognize your calling. He spoke it with great boldness. The next part of this verse that must be given attention is a small phrase that Paul makes when he says, When he says, The called of Jesus Christ. Again, this is not a Self made calling. It was a divine calling. These called ones belonged to Jesus. Just like Paul belonged to Jesus in his call to preach the gospel, these Christians in Rome belonged to Jesus as they fulfilled their God given call. Paul tried to help them understand that it was from God. Even though it it, it has been mentioned, that Paul understood that these fellow believers were were called by God to a specific calling it's necessary to notice that this calling from God was a common calling that would be gloriously shared between Paul and these believers hey we've all been called we've all been called to serve God he 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 helps them to reflect on their calling from what they have been called from. He helps them to reflect on their separation, of what they have been separated from. He's trying to to clear up any misunderstanding. Trying to help them understand that the power of the gospel comes from God alone. It doesn't come from Paul. It doesn't come from anyone else. It's not man-made. That would be preposterous. That would be wrong. That would be incorrect. It comes from Jesus Christ, who is God. The power of the gospel comes from God alone. This morning, we've looked at the the truth. That the power of the gospel comes from God alone. Understanding that allows us to gain a proper perspective of ourselves. We're simply servants. But that's not a negative thing. That is a positive thing. We get to serve God. We get to proclaim his truth. We are simply messengers. It also allows us to know with great certainty that Jesus Christ is equal with God. 100% God, 100% man. Finally, as we conclude this morning, we must walk away by knowing that the power of the gospel, which comes from God alone, allows us to recognize our calling. And recognizing this reality should fill our hearts with great gratitude of this truth. Fellow believer, may we walk out of here today with gratitude and humility in our hearts. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, we praise you for your word.